Vince, some of the pastors here. Delighted to be with you again in our second time regathering people in the back that are tailgating, which is super wise and fun. Uh, can you guys hear me back there? Yeah? Sweet. Okay, good. Listen, a couple things on the front end. First, a lot of you have been asking. I appreciate it. Uh, what's going on with my leg is I have, a, I have gout, which uh, is kind of like an arthritic condition that flares up from time to time. And so that's just what's going on. Hopefully it's on its way out right now. Appreciate the prayers significantly. It is funny. I say this every time, but when people find out I have gout, they always say, oh, I know someone who has gout. It's, it's my great-grandmother. Uh, and so I think I'm the youngest person on the planet with gout, and so take your pictures, okay? Um, that being said, on the front end here, I just want to say a giant thank you to all of you. I don't know how many made it out last week, uh, but it's been delightful to be out here together. I know this is just our second week doing this, but I really do want to point out and appreciate the way that you've decided to truly uh, engage and love one another, to try and be present with one another, try and respect one another, try and see one another and make the best decisions possible that everyone can be here in a way that makes them feel safe, comfortable, and able to come and experience worship and the Word of God. And so just uh, give yourselves just a thanks and a round of applause. Maybe just give each other. You're not really clap for yourself, clap for other people. There you go. Um, I want to share a quote with you from one of my favorite authors. His name is Stanley Hauervoss, and he says this about the church and about the gathering of God's people, and it's one of my favorite quotes, and it goes like this, says, the church is constituted as a new people who have been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are, in fact, one people. Gathering, therefore, is an eschatological act as it is the foretaste of the unity, of the communion of the saints. That in other words, as we do this, the beauty and the power of the gathering, it is an example and a picture of what will one day be something we do 24-7, 365, which is gather before our Lord to be together united without sin. And so this is a moment and a picture for our own hearts to be encouraged and then for the world to watch and see maybe, just maybe, unity is possible and maybe, just maybe, it could look like this. And so again, thank you for gathering. Last week we started a, uh, what's going to be about a 30 to 40 week series in the Gospel of John. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, there are four Gospels or documentaries, stories, eyewitness accounts about the life of Jesus. And so John comes, it was the last one one written what we learned about John last week is he was probably Jesus's closest confidant and friend. And so this isn't someone writing a biography about someone else from a distance. It's very intimate, very personal. And John tells us he wrote it so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That if you read this gospel, if you study this gospel, his chief aim is that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the one with whom the world had waited for to come and deliver them from Satan's sin and death and empower them and move them towards a life here and a life hereafter in heaven. And so my hope is, our hope is, as we enter into this, is twofold. One, that we would all believe that Jesus is the Christ. And hopefully that's true for most of us here, but we don't pretend to believe that's true for everyone here. And so you need to know this, that if you're going to be around, we're going to try and convince you that Jesus is your Savior. Unabashedly so. 
We want you to believe that Jesus is your Savior and He is the only Savior. We also want you to believe that Jesus is the model for life because He is the perfect human and in such as we live like Him and live for Him, we too live as the chief humanity we are supposed to be in Christ. And so He is both the Savior and the model. Now, uh, how many people, just by a show of hands, let's get a little interactive. Uh, how many people watched The Last Dance, the documentary about the Chicago Bulls? Anybody? Oh my gosh. We get, okay, let's get a new church. Um, so <laughs> we're canceling John. We're going to do a 10-week series watching The Last Dance. So it, listen, and this is true of Flagstaff. When we first moved here, Anthony and I are pretty big sports fans, and every time I got into a conversation, like, but do you watch sports? Uh, no. No, we don't do that if I'm Flagstaff. Oh, okay, cool. So this, this, this might not mean the same and hit home as much for most of you, but most of you, how many of you have heard of Michael Jordan? Okay, fair enough. All right. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, okay? If you think that's not true, you're welcome to leave, Okay. So Michael Jordan, greatest player of all time, in the early 90s, there was a commercial that Gatorade put out, and it was this series entitled Be Like Mike, okay? And if you remember the jingle, I'm not going to sing it, but I will. It says, sometimes I dream that he is me, got to see that's how I dream to be, a dream I move, a dream I groove, like Mike like, I, thought, I thought you guys were going to join in, but it says like to be like Mike, okay? And the whole thing was like, be like Mike, and you can do this by drinking Gatorade, which, again, then all of us, I guess, are somewhat like Mike. But there's this reality that as you heard the song, it was a national phenomenon because he had been so heralded as this great celebrity hero icon of the day that it was, hey, all the kids were like, how do I be like this guy? You would pay $120, and this is like the equivalent of maybe $250 now for a pair of Air Jordans, right? I remember buying a pair, convincing my parents to get me a pair back in like 1989, okay? They lasted for like three weeks till my feet outgrew them, okay? Never got them again. You see, the, the, the issue of John is this desire for him to herald Jesus so that there is no other that you, would, or you or I would dare say, I want to be like. That there would be only one model, one person, one example that the church would say, if I want to be like someone, it would be him. And so all the stories of the gospel of John are meant to draw you to that's who I need to be. I need to walk like Jesus. I need to talk like Jesus. I need to think like Jesus, feel like Jesus, see like Jesus, hear like Jesus, love like Jesus, etc. And so again, our hope is that the gospel of John, as we trust the Spirit of God to do far more than anything we could do up here in communication, that the Spirit of God will illuminate, transform us, that we might be that faithful to becoming like him. So, 
What we're doing over the first three weeks is taking us through the first 18 verses, which is the overture. It serves as the introduction to the rest of the book. I talked last week about how if, you, if you've watched Hamilton, it's the first, uh, the first song is the overture. It introduces the themes and the characters. And it was so funny. Of all the crazy things we've said over the last six months, I've not gotten more backlash than when I said Hamilton wasn't that great, Okay. So what we're doing in week two is continuing to unpack the themes of this book as John is introducing and again pleading his case, would you believe Jesus is the Savior and the model of our lives? Last week, we, we found out that Jesus was the Word, and the Word was in the beginning, and it was with God, and it was God. So in other words, Jesus was there in the beginning, He is God, and now He is coming. The Word is, being, uh, is coming into the world to set the world Free. Today, we see the second part of the overture. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 4, and we'll be looking through verse 13. There's going to be three main points, and I'm going to give them to you on the front end. First, Jesus is light. Two, the light consumes darkness. And three, that we and this world might be brought under his sovereignty. So let's look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Right off the bat, you get this language that for many of us will start to elicit some other scriptures. Now, for the Jews who are here in this, and for many of the Greeks who existed in this time, they would have even connected themselves and their minds to much of what was happening throughout the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. They would have gone right back to Genesis chapter 1, which is the same thing that John did last week in the beginning of the book. He's doing it again. Would you recall... Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, that in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. That light entered into the world amidst a world filled with darkness. And so already you see John trying to again place us back in the origin story of the world and say Jesus has been around forever. In fact, he is the light that went forth into the world. It was God's presence that moved into the void and into the darkness and is present with us even unto this day. John will unpack this idea more and more throughout the rest of John, so we won't spend too much time doing it this morning, but I do point you to John chapter 8, verse 12, that says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's really good news. I'm going to read it again. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the whole world, every part of the world, every sector, every place, every city, every nation, every heart. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Jew would continue to unpack this verse From the Psalms, Psalm 119.105 says, The word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Hebrew scriptures are replete with this constant movement of the authors trying to show to the people of God that God is light. 
and he shines upon the darkness. So this is not, again, a new theme for the reader. This is an old theme that now John is trying to make present for a people that they might follow Jesus. Now, this is important for us, I think, in 21st century America because the gospel and Christianity, it's not a new story here in America. That this thread of Christianity and the preaching of the Scriptures, the Great Awakening, it has been here, certainly. The tradition has run through the last 400 years of American history, and yet we find ourselves today, I think, with this deep desire to see it grab hold in significant ways amongst the hearts of man taking something that has certainly been around and old and saying, but no, it is not just this old thing of antiquity, but it's rather something that our humanity, that that people long for from the deepest parts of themselves and may not even know it, and hence why they look for it in so many things, not him. And so again, John's purpose is purposeful for us this morning to say again, amidst all of the other options, would again, would the church say, there's only one place we want to look? We're not going to listen to this person or this person or this person if at any point they would seem to come against the words of our Lord. That must be primary for the people of God because God is light and light takes over everything. Light comes and consumes all things, All parts of darkness are made light. I got saved in a church in San Diego called The Rock Church. Pastor Miles McPherson, he always used to have this line. He would say, the only thing faster than light is darkness running away. Light consumes all of life. So if Jesus is light, as we let him in, he will speak to and will confront every aspect of our lives. More on that in just a moment. In Jesus was life and light. Let's go to verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Point two, the light consumes darkness. Again, an extremely hopeful truth here. Now, he's writing to a time and a place where there was serious problems. We have our own, obviously. But as he writes to the Jews and to the Greeks and to the Roman world that would read this gospel somewhere between 70 and 100 AD, you look at the landscape of what's happening politically, what's happening socially, what's happening spiritually, and he's speaking directly to the the void and the pain and the brokenness of their current situation. And so again, we place ourselves and say, man, has anyone experienced any pain or brokenness or had some type of void of darkness, especially over the last six months? And maybe, just maybe, this could be good news for us this morning that would cause us to well up in joy and maybe throw out an amen for crying out loud that Jesus, the light of the world, has overcome the darkness of the world. There there it is. I just got to ask. I'll just ask more. Okay. That's celebratory news. It's news that clearly was somewhat good enough for you guys to come outside in 87 degree weather, but that sun makes it feel like 2,000. I get it. For, for you guys, sorry. If anyone wants to be kind, <laughs> bring an umbrella. 
It's enough to draw us out here, but would it do far more than just bring us out on a Sunday morning? Would it take over our lives? And hear me, again, I know I keep saying this and I'm, re- I'm repeating. I-, I-, I just know, hear me, then maybe this is, I'm stubborn enough to miss it and I'm the one saying it. I need to be more like Jesus. That's why we come here. That's why we come and hear the word of God. It's why we sing that Jesus in the midst of it makes us more like him. That he would be our savior. Now, let's talk the darkness of our world. This is exciting and fun to chat about. There's two levels of this. There's the darkness of a broken world and the darkness of a broken humanity. First, the darkness of a broken world, we see death. That death is now a reality in the world that we find ourselves. And it was not to be. For those of you who don't realize, right, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, this was perfect. Death was not part of the equation. It enters in the midst of the rebellion of humanity. Death comes. Darkness spread itself in death across all of the world. We don't control it. We can't fix it. We've prolonged it. We've found ways, obviously, to extend life. That's, that's a good thing. But we haven't found a way to cancel it. So death comes to the world. Sickness, illness, cancer, COVID. Again, nothing we figured would ever be here. Nothing we could just easily fix. Consistently let us pray that God grants wisdom and grace that a cure would be quickly found. But the world groans. The creation groans, the Bible says. And so we see pains in this world that shouldn't be here. Earthquakes and brokenness. The world literally breaking itself apart. That one day, and I don't think any of us will certainly be here unless God really speeds up the timeline, but the sun will explode. And for whoever's there then, that will be an interesting sight. The creation is longing for redemption, just like the humanity that we are. And so there's a broken world around us. Things are not the way they should be, but darkness does not stop there. It has moved into humans. It has moved into our hearts and our minds in the way that we act individually and the way that we act relationally amongst the one another's. Individually, we have fear and anxiety and depression that, that should, should not be part of our realities, but they're there because this world is not as it should be. We sin in ways like idolatry, covetousness, licentiousness, pride, greed. These things well up in us and we rebel against our maker. And it distorts and separates us from the communion we are meant to have with him. But that sin doesn't just stop here, but it goes to the way we deal with one another. Fellow image bearers, there's fracture, there's fear of the other, disdain, oppression, murder, betrayal, gossip, slander, racism, hate, and the list could go on and on. 
The world is a broken place. And I think sometimes we've become so desensitized to the reality of it that we can hear that Jesus has come to completely thwart its advances, that it doesn't cause an illicit response of, oh man, I'm going to praise God because I so desperately want to not see that be part of my world. We see hate and it's become so normal for humans to hate humans that we don't rejoice in the fact that Jesus has come to destroy it. We don't plead with him for, to come, for him to come swiftly. And so part of John is trying to unlock the hearts, the callousness and the apathy of the current realities they were experiencing and our own to say, no, in the midst of that darkness, would you remember that his light is shining? That's the hope. And that the brokenness that is all around us, the stuff that's been experienced in spades over the last five or six months, that that too Jesus is here for. That the light has already been turned on. Do you hear what I'm saying? The light's already been turned on. And so this idea that all of this stuff must be commonplace, is so false. It's still not the way it should be, especially now because Jesus has come and his light is in the world and it is meant to be projected through the church. Now that's an indictment on myself. It's an indictment on us. That Jesus is the light of the world and we are his temple. And it is out of his temple that his light and his streams of living water are to go forth. That the world would know this type of light. And so where there is darkness in the church, we need to know that is as far from making any kind of sense as possible. The only way there is strife and division amongst his church is either one, we're not actually the church, or two, he's not actually with us. That should be a scary fact for us. Because where there is Jesus, there is light. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. If there's darkness in the church, we're either not the church or Jesus isn't with us. Now, I... I don't think it's either one of those. But we need to wake up to that reality and say, no, the light has already been turned on. This is the way we live and love one another. And it's through love. It's through sacrifice. It's through death. It's through service. It's through blessing. It's through assuming that the other person that you don't know that's here, that they too walk with the same Lord and you will break bread and share communion and live life for eternity with one another. So act like it. Because that's who we have to be if we are to actually be the church and Jesus is to actually be the one that resides among his people. It's already there. My son uh, just turned six on Friday. And so 
uh, for some of you who've been around, like the chances here that have seen him, bef- like knew us before he was born, it's, it's just crazy. He's six now, which is just weird. And he's like a giant and his feet smell and the whole deal, right? So we got him a, uh, a lava lamp. You guys remember those things? Yeah, you go to Spencer's Gifts amongst all the other weird stuff over there. And we got him a lava lamp. And uh, we put that, uh, the other night, we've got family staying in town, and so we had to switch around rooms. I don't know why I'm giving you these details. Anyway, he's in, he's in bed, and it's dark. And so all we had to do was we flipped that light on, and he went right to bed. Like, there's just something that soothes and comforts the soul when the light is on. And I guess I'll just say it one more time. Church, the light is already on in the church. We just need to stop being deceived that it's not and start living Jesus to one another. It's already on. Let's keep going. John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Just real briefly, John the Baptist gets introduced here. Anthony's going to talk more on him in a couple weeks. Uh, Pretty great guy. Jesus himself said he's probably the greatest human that ever lived. And so when we get to to John, you should probably listen to what he has to say. Um, One one interesting story I'll just share kind of on the front end as we kind of understand why, why, why would John the writer here, the apostle, start introducing John the Baptist now. And again, he's trying to build his case continually for you and I to believe that we should believe Jesus is our Savior and worth following. And so he introduces his first witness. And so you can begin to see this unfolding like, uh, like some type of you know, prosecution or defense, like whatever, either side, you get what I'm saying, you bring someone up, they testify, and then you come out with a verdict on the other end. So John the Baptist will serve as the first one of those in just a little bit. Verse 9, now the true light, Not John the Baptist, but someone better. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, the true light had come into the world and shines upon the whole world, that everyone is a recipient of the light that has come into the world. We call this theologically common grace, that God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love and his truth and justice are spread across the cosmos in such a way that holds the world together. Because without that common grace, honestly, we would probably just all murder each other right now. It is only because he holds us together that he actually gives us this fighting chance to be kind But then that light has gone a step further and has offered a grace to those who would choose to believe and to follow and to be His. That you might become a child of God. 
That it wouldn't be this, I'm part of, I'm just another piece of this broken humanity, this broken world, but rather be swept into a kingdom and underneath the headship of a king and into the family of a father that has drawn people in through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection three days later. The light had come into the world and had offered up two options for humanity. Two groups that would be established. One group that would choose to say, no thank you. And that's a generous way that people can reject him. Oftentimes it's far more disturbing. God, I don't want anything to do with you. I, great, you've come in, lights, whatever. It's only because of you that I'm not just going around just ruining my life completely. But no thanks, I don't want any part of you. But for those who would hear, who would know in their hearts and their minds, who would confess with their mouths and would choose to walk in step and follow Jesus, he has given the right to become children of God. The language is intentional. Think through the language and the idea of citizenry. As an American citizen, you have rights in this country. As a citizen of the kingdom of God, you were granted the world's greatest right, and that is to be a child of God, to be adopted into his family, to fully belong to him, to not be part of the... Dis- dis- to be his. J.I. Packer said this, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is far greater. Adoption is the greatest privilege of the gospel. It is the place from which, church, we can choose love We can choose truth. We can choose to live in the fruit of the Spirit and the way that we engage and talk and be with one another and with a world that desperately needs this story. But I think too often we live as if darkness is the only reality that we can live in. And again, that is just not true. The light has come. Newness is here. Jesus is alive. We can live like him. We can love like him. Not because we did something. Not because we went and got to him. Not because we bounded arms together and said, let's go find him. He came and got us. That's why we sing. That's why we praise. That's why we should, you don't have to be emotional, but it's why I weep at singing. Because he did everything I could not. I don't deserve to be in his family. But he came and said, come. Just believe and follow. 
Church, let us just believe and follow because the light has come into the world. It's here. In a moment, we're going to respond. Anthony will come up and we're going to sing some songs and we're going to take communion. We'll give. We'll do all these things. The moment that we have to respond here, it is, it is meant to be a microcosm of what does it mean for the church to respond after we go. If response time, which lasts 10 to 15 minutes, is the only time we take in the word of God to intentionally go and respond in kind to its conviction upon our hearts, we're not doing it right. And so I invite us that as we now pray, and I'm going to share one last prayer with you, that we would take the opportunity we have to come and to gather in this heat and to be together, to hear from the Word of God and take it seriously, that God would do something miraculous amongst us and it's just make Him more like or make us more like him, not him like us. That, that's, that's a bad idea. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you've saved us. Thank you that the light has come into the world. The light has brought us life God, we confess we have chosen darkness all too often, but that is not our story. That light is here, and it's here now. Lord, let us open up our eyes. Give us the the ability to open our eyes wide enough to see what is true, that we need not bicker and fight with one another, especially not in God's house. God, that we need not use tools and weapons of darkness to combat darkness, that we would only use the one tool we've been given, and that is the light of our Lord. We need you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, We're going to do a quick moment of reflection, and I'm going to read a prayer over us. Um, As we reflect, and I would just... If you, you, know, you don't have to do eyes closed necessarily, but just try and get, get in a mode of really trying to hear these words in this prayer. And would you pray it with me uh, in your hearts and in your minds? It says this, Our Father, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, Supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. Their grace removes my burdens and heaps them on thy son. Made a transgressor, a curse, and a sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man thy fellow. There thy infinite attributes were magnified. An infinite atonement was made. Their infinite punishment was due, and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy, cast off that I might be brought in. Christ was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend, surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best, stripped that I might be clothed, Wounded that I may be healed, a thirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made a shame that I might inherit glory, 
Enter darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept all the tears that might be wiped from my eyes. Groaned that I might have endless song. Endured all pain that I might have unfading health. Bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head that I might uplift mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. Clothed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. Expired that I might forever live. O Father, who spared not thine only Son, that thou might spare me. All this transfer thy love designed and accomplished. Help me to adore thee by lips and life. O that my breath might be ecstatic praise, my every step buoyant with delight as I see my enemies stop. Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed. Sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood. Hell's gates closed forever. Heaven's portal open forever. Go forth, O conquering God, and show me the cross, mighty to subdue, mighty to comfort, and mighty to save. And God's people said, Amen.